Hello, this is Scott Jentz. Welcome to Sandbox Stories. Welcome to this Sandbox Story, which is an interview with Dr. Brianna Rue. Brianna is an interesting guest because she and I share a real desire to transform the industry through software technology. She's the founder of a technology system called Dr. Contact Lens, and we're going to talk a lot about that today and the importance of these types of software applications to the business of optometry. But we're also going to talk about some of the real issues we have over how technology companies are causing problems for the very eye care businesses that use them. So I hope you stick around for the entire story. Dr. Rue, it's a real pleasure to have you on Sandbox Stories. Welcome. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me. I look forward to the discussion. Let's start with your educational path from U of A in Tucson to Nova to a residency at Baskin Palmer. What influenced you toward optometry along that path? So I have an interesting path along with optometry. So got my first tech lenses in third grade. So I was a gymnast, cheerleader, dancer. My glasses were always broken. Um, I was a minus two when I was diagnosed because I was having trouble learning how to read and find out my parents are both myopic. So here I am and my parents didn't know it. Um, my dad had two golfing buddies that were amazing optometrists in Colorado. So I grew up in their offices, became a front desk to scribe, to optician, to front desk, to everything, and then went on to optometry school and loved the business side of optometry where it kind of filter in the patient care. Wanted to be a surgeon, but liked really where optometry could lead you. And that's really where my story began. That's awesome. And you go along, you get your degree. Along this path, you get married to a neuro-ophthalmologist. How did you meet? Yeah, so we met kind of whole Gray's Anatomy thing. So there's a lot of ophthalmology, optometry relationships that come out of that summer. So I joke that I jumped out of his birthday cake. Um, I, we actually met at his birthday dinner. I didn't jump out of his cake. Um, but you got to pay these student loans back somehow, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so we actually started dating. He thought I had a job lined up to actually go back to Colorado. So he wasn't really interested because he thought I was moving. Um, come to find out, we really hit it off. And I found a private practice that I joined right out of residency down here. And the rest is history. So here we are. And you credit your five-year-old son's vision, as well as your myopia, to build at your practice a fairly deep myopia management background. I'd like you to tell us about that and also why it's becoming a significant part of primary care practice. Yeah, so you and I, Scott, both know kind of the burn in optometry, the burn and turn just gets really, really old. Um, I was working really hard, just always wanted to find my niche for optometry, um, really into scleral lenses. And then I was pregnant and me being a high myope, my husband being a high myope, um, when I was pregnant, I just did a quick search of, is there anything that I can do to control myopia? Because we weren't taught it in school. Nobody was really doing it. And I went down this rabbit hole and never came out. So went to the Vision by Design conference drank um, from a fire hose, came back that Monday, set up an entire program. Um, now we're part of the STAR study for atropine. We've been doing Ortho-K, Natural View, MySight. Now we have all these new and great technologies and Essilor, and it's just been super fun educating people. So it's really changed my practice and my philosophy on treating kids and getting them in early and being a high my myself and being diagnosed when I was little, um, it's really something that I think could really save optometry. I hate the doom and gloom around optometry. I don't think it has to be there as long as we teach each other and we learn from each other to really charge for our services, charge for expertise, and really stay ahead of the game. The patients deserve it. Our practices deserve it. And we as practitioners can really build off of that energy to thrive. 
So myopia has been a really great piece to that puzzle and to really help kids. That's great. My viewers and listeners have appreciated when I take a topic that seems to need to go deeper, deeper. And you and I have created a relationship where we've gone deep on a lot of topics <laughs> without anybody else listening. So if you don't mind, I want to take this a little deeper. My brother in 1976 was unable to see the gas gauge in the Pontiac Bonneville car that our family took out to the West Coast on a road trip. And, you know, if that's all he could see, he couldn't see Mount Rushmore, he couldn't see the mountains, the ocean, everywhere we went. And he was one of those classic early myopes. And he went through an ophthalmology driven atropinization program. He had bifocals and photogray lenses, uh, which was all there was in the 70s. Um, and he ended up minus 1050. He doesn't have retina disease today. He had LASIK along the way. Please help me understand, as somebody who's seen that and been in practice for 25 years, that while retina disease and other sort of forms of concern in the ocular structures may be a problem in myopia, why is optometry so focused on this? I take a bit of a skeptic's approach. Convince me otherwise. Yeah, so being a kid, I actually had the same experience. We're on a drive to South Dakota, second grade. I looked out the window and I said, hey, mom, look at that sheep over there. And she was like, uh, that's not a sheep. It's a cow. So we have either a major problem or she can't see. I had the same experience. I couldn't see Mount Rushmore. I couldn't see the Black Hills Gold and then came back and got my first pair of glasses. But you have to realize when you're in second, third or fourth grade and you get your first pair of glasses, it's myopia is something that a person will deal with the rest of their life. You can keep a minus two or even these kids that are four, five, six, seven years old that are pre-myopic. If you can delay this onset every single year, you're actually adding it up on the back end. So if I would have been caught and lived life as a minus three versus a minus six, that's a huge advantage to that patient and to their lifestyle. Also, as you get, as you progress through your myopic disease, right? So as you go and become presbyopic, as also as you go on to need LASIK or cataract surgery, it really changes the way that the surgeon approaches you. So your brother being a minus 1050, they had to really look at his case, change some of the parameters to make sure that he was a LASIK candidate. And then as you go on to cataract surgery, those cataract surgeons, your lens annuals are um, really, really fragile. So you're at a higher risk to having complications. So really, my, I know that we're not like curing cancer and everything like this, but it is something that once you get your first pair of glasses, and I'm actually saddened now when I give a kid their first pair of glasses because I feel like I let them down those early years of talking about out, talking about sky and really getting into the nuts and bolts of it, where you can really, really delay that onset or keeping them a minus two versus a minus 10, that's a huge advantage to them for the rest of their life. So really, you know, with ortho-K, you're molding by 10 microns is all that it takes. So to really help them. And then obviously they can wake up and see during the next day or even with the MySight lens, right? 25% of the kids in the study didn't progress. So it's really advantageous and it can only go up from there. So even if you don't want to add ortho-K, you don't want to add MySight. Just seeing kids earlier and really discussing, get outside for two hours a day. You're practicing myopia management. So really, that's where we all have to work together. That's really well said. One other question that comes to my mind is, how much are our optometry colleagues looking into the binocular vision components of myopia development as it relates to a number of different types of virgins controls and accommodative controls? Is it a substantial part of myopia management? Or is it not so much a part of myopia management? So really, it's a three-prong approach, right? You're looking at the refractive error. You're looking or exophoric. A lot of myopes, myself included, become esophoric, which makes you more myopic. Um, so accommodative factors come into play there. 
And then really that near versus outdoor time. So obviously we're living in the perfect storm. So it's going to be really interesting as we go back to school in the fall with a lot of kids being on last year. When they step back into these classrooms and can't see the board, not knowing that this has happened, we're all going to get pretty busy here in August or September. So really, I'm a huge advocate, especially for technologies, that patients hear from me first what's out there. I don't want them to see a commercial from Sarah Michelle Geller on Cooper Vision's My Sight Lens and wonder why I didn't present them to it. So really, I think that this is going to become standard of care um, over the next couple of years. Oh, what myope is going to be a minus two and stay a minus two and which one's going to be a minus two and become a minus 10. So it's for everybody to get on board and give the patient the option. Some people don't want to do it and that's fine. You educated them and some people want to do it and they're really gung-ho about it and it can really help the patient. Well, I'm thrilled that you're participating in clinical trials and continuing to advance the science. And uh, I appreciate you letting me go down that path. I, I actually don't have any problems with it. I just wanted to play it a little bit and make sure that uh, we got the audience a fair sense of it. And for the general public who listens to these things, um, these, pod, these podcasts on Sandbox Stories, investigate your nearsighted children and the options that they have with their eye doctor and go in equipped to talk to the eye doctor uh, with you know good preparation because your eye doctors do want to help your children have the best possible vision and of all things just get your children to the eye doctor starting in the first year of life so with that yeah. let's talk about your personal life um you do yoga what benefits do you derive from it so I'm a huge yogi. So being a dancer and a cheerleader and a gymnast, like I could just walk on my hands all day and be super excited. Um, so I actually found yoga um, during my first year of being an optometrist. I was having horrible neck and shoulder pain from like that refracting shoulder that we get. And there was just nothing that could really touch it. Um, my studio that I was going to actually turned into Orange Theory Fitness. Um, so she was the lady behind that. She added hot yoga. Um, so I started with it because it was so fun. And then it actually benefited me actually more on like a spiritual, like calming down level. Cause you and I both got little, you know, high energy and we kind of need to disconnect at some point. Um, so really it kind of transformed me into living in South Florida, having the road rage that's all here. Right. Um, and really just living each day individually and really being present. Um, so it's really changed my life for the better, not only for the physical aspects, but for the mental capacity to really learn how to disconnect and meditate and really um, transpire what you can believe in is what you're going to go do. So it helps me always visualize and keep progressing. Um, so it's done it a lot like for me. A, yeah, it feels like it's natural for optometrists to look into it. it it's um, very common that optometrists get those positional uh, skeletal and neck issues. And boy, I mean, how many ENTs and um, OBGYNs and others who positionally get into these healthcare professional uh, body contortions that end up causing them real troubles, in fact, even disabilities later? Um, I suppose you would recommend every optometrist at least try it a bit, huh? Yeah, and you don't have to be flexible to do yoga. Um, I think that's the number one thing that people are like, I'm not flexible, I can't do yoga. And I'm like, even sitting here, you can be doing yoga. Um, but it, it literally, if I miss like two or three days in a row, my headaches like right back because it's so skeletal. Um, and then just, you know, we're all living busy lives, busier than ever. And so it's more important than ever to be able to disconnect, even if it's for 20 minutes. And um, it really helps everybody, it helps your family, it helps your friends, it helps your staff, <laughs> your patience that you're not mad um so it really helps calm down and become more zen with everything so i don't honk anymore like <laughs> it's like that person you know they needed to get there two minutes earlier so that's why they cut me off versus like laying on the horn so and you are a big traveler and i suppose travel's going to start again where's the next place you're going to go we're actually leaving for Hawaii. I just got back from my COVID test. 
Um, so we have Hawaii planned, um, possibly Italy as they open back up. Um, we're huge. It's so fun to go to other cultures and speak different languages and really push forward in that sense. Um, and then obviously optometry is everywhere. So you can't really escape it wherever you go. You're looking in optical stores. People are different and um, signage and all of that. So it's fun to see all across the world on how optometry really brings people together. I got to tell you, there are a couple of optometrists in Hawaii who are specialists at taking care of travelers. Uh, we had a couple of people that used our software back in the day who we became acquainted with. We would always sort of pick up the phone. They were willing to help people out. It was a, it was an interesting thing to think about optometry there or in other parts of the world. And, and I hope you do stop in and, and keep expanding your knowledge of optometry elsewhere. And I'm sure you're going to do it with uh, the thoughts of your technology company and how it can be applied. So let's talk about Dr. Contact Lens. Um, its promise is to simplify contact lens ordering. Is your goal to influence patients or to influence optometry practices? It's both. Um... Techno healthcare technology, right? So really patients in the patient journey, especially in optometry, we have so many moving parts. So yes, they start off as a patient. Eventually there's a line literally in most of our practices where they do become a consumer. And we have to remember that. And so with Dr. Contact Lens, when we built it, we flipped this whole model on its head where most technologies are built from the doctor, staff, then patient perspective. We flipped it around. We built it from the patient to the staff and then to the doctor so everybody could win. And really coming back to eye care is more than just a prescription. So it's really important that patients, that yes, you can parse out a refraction. That's really only 10% of maybe what we do. Um, we're really looking at the eye health. We're looking at the back of the eye. We can diagnose so many things. And so if you're putting yourself at risk for having one of these online refractions, you're leaving 90% of your eye uncovered. And you may be even getting put in a technology that's not for you. And then that could lead to other significant problems for you down the road. And so what we also wanted to do was make sure that optometrists made it easy for their patients to order from them. So Really, healthcare technology, we have to take care of the doctor. So all of us put years and years into school. We pay these staffs. We pay for technology to take care of you as patients. And we, obviously, with the vision plans, we don't get paid that much from just a comprehensive eye exam. So, yes, we have to make all of our staff and pay for all our equipment and pay for rent and pay for insurance and all of these other things to take care of the patient. And so if we just keep letting all of these scripts walk out and we take it a step further, okay, that patient goes to an online retailer to order, then they have an online eye exam, and then that following year they don't come back, they end up having a kid. So now I've lost the opportunity to talk about my for that child. And now we're really starting over this cycle that could really have been saved um, through that relationship important that as we go on, and yes, there's an optometrist on every corner, a dentist on every corner, and all of these other things, that you really curate that relationship with that doctor. They really do want to take care of you. And really, as you go through it, make sure that they're advancing the technology, that they're not still possibly on paper, um, and that they're utilizing technology to you as a patient. I think that's super important. And we rely on those patient relationships to keep integrating, to keep evaluating, and to keep moving forward so we can bring technology that helps everybody. So that's really what we tried to do. And we're going to get deeper into how the technology works in a second, but I want to talk about you as an entrepreneur. Um, every optometrist, in my estimation, is actually more entrepreneurial than they think. In fact, I still think it's fighting words when people say optometrists aren't business people, because when you get into a healthcare profession, you have to have some business mindedness. You understand you're serving somebody, and in exchange for that service, you receive or derive a fee. But you guys are real entrepreneurs. You and your best friend and former classmate, Jen, started this, and I'll bet you guys learned a lot over this five-year path <laughs> of taking this from an idea to a real offering. 
a lot of entrepreneurs have all kinds of scrapes on their knees and elbows and sometimes <laughs> their forehead. What's it been like to build this from scratch? Being from any form of technology background, Jen or myself, um, I was nine months pregnant when Jen called me and she goes, hey, Brie, she lives in LA. I'm in Fort Lauderdale. She loves the um, like front end of optometry. All of the optical sales, she's super um, crafty with everything that she does from marketing to like her practice is beautiful. And then I'm like the disease person, which is the back end. And then all of like the finances and numbers and relationships and all of that. So when she called me, she's like, hey, you want to develop an app where our patients can order from us? Because literally we got sick of patients. They would sit down in our chair, not even say hello and say, hey, can I have a copy of my prescription? Well, that was really fun. Like you didn't even give me a chance. You just walked by 10 people that I employ with all of this equipment. And I can't really say anything after that. That's not going to or the patient feel horrible. So we wanted a way that was both that patient that control that they're asking for. At the end of the day, it's their record, right? They're just asking me to help them. So yes, we will give you a copy of your prescription and we give it to everybody. And now we've taken that off the table. And so we're like, perfect. This should take us what? Build this. Because <laughs> that's when apps were like super taking off. Yeah. Um, found one dev shop who didn't get it done. Found another dev shop that didn't get it done. And so here we are hundreds of thousands of dollars into this already. And we're like, well, I guess we keep going. Um of mine that actually walked in and said, I asked him, you know, what do you do? And he goes, oh, well, I am a, a developer. And I was like, well, amazing. Like we have this idea, came in and gave me a pitch. Um, and to this day, my dad was the one that actually placed the first order through Dr. Contact Lens. So I remember him walking in with the box, which was the first order that had made it through the whole cycle of Dr. Contact Lens. And we just about lost it. Um, I handed the phone to my dad, who's the most technologically challenged human being on the planet, an email into the search bar and wonder why it doesn't send kind of technology. And, um, he placed his order in two clicks and that's when I knew we actually had something. So that's when we started off as an idea to really build it for our own offices and then realized really quickly that this needed to get into the community. We tried other things on the market and everything was just so outdated and antiquated. And really it comes down to that patient experience, right? Everybody now goes to Amazon because they know Amazon. It's easy. Their credit card is safe. Log in and order in one click. Same thing with us. And with the EMRs, we can build in this piece and really have everybody win at the end of the day. And now the patient has access to their healthcare record, which you and I both know, it's really the patient's ownership. So how many times have you called a doctor wanting your record and it takes them two weeks to get you the record, right? So it shouldn't be like that. We need to be in control of our own health. And I think people are getting more conscious with that. And this just adds to that puzzle. And ultimately, every time anybody talks about eye care patients getting in control, it makes eye doctors shudder. And Dr. Contact Lens, trying to serve both parties, the patient and the doctor, um, is promoted itself through even your marketing website as a technology that requires an eye examination from a doctor before somebody proceeds to an order. So how do you control that? What does the experience of the patient look like? Yeah, the experience for the patient, they come in obviously for their eye health exam, they get their refraction, we measure all of the data points for that contact lens. Obviously, we have so many technologies coming and with all of the digital eye that's everybody's experiencing, obviously we have updated lenses. So it's important that your doctor, that you have these conversations with your doctor of latest and greatest? Are you having any dryness? Are you having any fatigue? Because there's a ton of lenses out there that can help with that. Um, and then contact lenswear. So now the doctor sees you, inputs the contact lens prescription that will automatically, if we're integrated with their software, will upload to the doctor contact lens portal. You invite the patient in one click, or you can order right there for the patient. So typically it's 
eight-step process from start to finish on the back end of an office to order a contact lens. Here, we've made that super slick and super easy. So now the staff can concentrate on those patients in front of them instead of doing all this back-end office work. Now the patient gets an email and a text message. They can log in with the password. Right there, they can download and print the copy of their prescription, have access to it 24-7, or click send it to my address and click to order. The insurance benefit, if you have a vision plan benefit, will load right there for the patient. They can also use the rebates through the manufacturer to get the best price. And then now the patient office wins. So really, healthcare is all driven by we have to start remembering that doctors have to also be taken care of. If we continue to, to cut doctors out of this equation, in 10, 15, 20 years, we're just going to be seeing robots. There's a human element to healthcare. And so really, as a patient, it's your job to take care of the doctor so the doctor can take care of you. So it's all cyclical. So if we keep cutting pieces out of this puzzle, then everybody at the end of the day loses. So it's really important that we kind of open that up a little bit more because these online companies do not have anybody's best interest at heart except for their bottom line. So they really don't care for you as a patient. And what you mean by that are online contact lens suppliers that aren't doctor contact lens. Correct. So so I think we've probably cracked open the minds of doctors who are listening to this, their staff, um, but they're still leery. For example, we get asked all the time, if I use this order processor, um, how is the system going to know the patient's benefit? And more importantly, how, how do I know I'm going to get my ideal pricing from you know whatever partner I've got, my doctor group or whatever? Um, can you tell us how Doctor Contact Lens handles that? Yeah, so it's still, we're a SaaS business model, so you're just paying to have access to the portal. Lens patients are housed, so right there, we've built a CRM or a customer relationship management program for your contact lens patients. So you can really track who's due to reorder, when they're due to reorder, and when they're due to come back and see you, and really be pretty aggressive on this to make sure that the patients are taken care of. So right there, you can load in the insurance or the vision plan benefits um, after the patient is in front of you, or if they're losing or if they're leaving, um, you can load that in. So you're making sure that is getting the best price. And the majority of the time, you're going to get the best price from your eye doctor. And I think most people are skeptical because at that point, and you and I, Scott, both know everybody on this planet is a salesperson. So I hate when I hear, you know, doctors are like, I'm not a salesperson. You are a salesperson. You sold your practice to people to get them in the door. And now you have to sell them to stay with you. So it's not a bad term to be a salesperson. It's not. We're all selling every day, all day. It doesn't matter what you do. So I think it's important that we don't make sales a bad term. Um, cause really at the end of the day, we're all here to take care of one another. So that's how we do it. And so to that configuration that happens, is that where me as a practice owner puts in which doctor Alliance group I'm in or where I choose to have my contact lenses priced? Because, you know, the reality in this market is for 20,000 practices, it feels like there's 20,000 different price lists. How does that work? Yeah, so we give you a recommended price list um, so you can be competitive. What we've done is we've analyzed a bunch of practices and found that about 30% of lenses are being undercharged, 30% are being overcharged for, and it's not so much pricing. If you go after the volume in your practice, you're going to make that up versus nickeling and diming that patient for 5 or $10 more a box. So it's really important to understand volume selling which is really where all the math adds up on the back end. So if we're so worried about that one sale versus 10 sales, we're way ahead of the game if we actually implement technology to do so. And on that note, um, it's really important and critical to change pieces of your practice. So really, as we're implementing technology, my staff, I was just at Vision Expo, and my staff is like, oh, here comes Dr. Rue on Monday. Like, what are we going to implement now? So it's really important that you curate 
this culture in your practice that we're not stagnant. We are going to change. We are going to move. We are going to try new things. And if it fails, it fails. But at least we gave it our best effort. We put in that year, right? Most of us think that technology is going to adapt at a second. And then two months from now, you're like, this sucks. I'm not using it. Technology isn't that easy to adopt in a practice. And so it's really, really important as you adopt new technologies to really give it all that you've got. And the last way the practice thinks about being measured in winning is getting the best possible cost of good. So if I've got a 30 location practice that wants to use your system and I've already got a negotiated price with contact lens manufacturer A or I'm in name them, right? IDOC, PECA, Vision Source, whatever else. And I've got a, a, a group price that is my price because I'm a member. How do you end up wholesale costing back to the practice the purchases that are made through your system? Um, yeah, so that, that still goes all through the distributor that you've picked. So it's still your cost. It's still your price. It's still your bill. Um, it's still your points. So you can go to Hawaii on your ABB bill, right? Um, so it's that was important. And it was actually critical to us when we are, were doing this process is that everybody in that cycle is taken care of. So we have all of our sales rep. We have all our manufacturer reps. We have... Um, distributors that really help us and really prep up the industry because that's what keeps us going is really at the end of the day is our vendors. That's how we get through legislation. That's how we pass bills is really the money that the industry is donating back in other areas. So a lot of us, obviously, I'm the, or I'm the immediate past president of our local society. So politically, it's really, really important as optometrists, we're taking care of our vendors that we want to take care of you, right? So it's the same thing as a patient. When a patient asks you for a copy of the prescription and then you go on to somebody else, that hurts that relationship. So it really is cyclical. Um, and the doctors are at the epicenter of that. Well, to use the word epicenter again, um, I want to get to the key issue that we sort of hinted at at the beginning of the call. And that is that for a product like Dr. Contact Lens to be utilized in eye care practices in an optimal way, it needs integration to EHR software systems. But through your very long journey of conversations and attempts, you reported to me in discussions we've had that you're finding brick walls that mm -hmm. literally... The technology companies who house practice data are telling you, we just will not integrate. I've got a lot of thoughts about this that I'm going to share with you in my own sort of way, but I want to hear it from you first. Why are they putting up that wall to you? Yeah, it actually, it's been really devastating um, as we have these conversations. So you still, to put this out there, you can still use Dr. Contact Lens if we're not integrated with your software. So remember, when you're going to the distributor, if you're going to the manufacturer to put in these orders, you're, it's a dead end for all of your data. At the end of the day, everybody wants our data. It's your data. You've got to be the one to understand it, go after it, and really become profitable. And you can do this. Contact lenses are very profitable if you do it the right way. So even if your annual supply rate is super high and your capture rate is super high, you're still giving these online retailers a crack at about 50% of your population. So it's really, really important that even if we're not integrated, you can still use Dr. Contact Lens. But what comes back to the integration piece, and I didn't realize this until pretty recently, is really our EMR companies, right? They were built, um, yours was built with a vision to really open that up and to let other companies come in. We know that the EMR companies, they're busy doing so many other things and they have so much talent, but there's only so many programming hours in a day. And there's only so many ideas that you can implement. And really coming in as a company, yeah, could you guys go build it? Of course you could. Are you going to do it the way that we know how we want and need it? Most likely not. And when you're going to launch it, it's going to be too late. So really technology moves fast. It's moving faster than ever. And so when I go have these conversations, it's really important as doctors that if you see a technology that you want, you've got to advocate for yourself. So really we're fighting to get in the back door. We're being strong-armed because we don't have enough users. We don't have enough implementation. 
Um, they don't have enough man hours. I'm the one paying my development team because I want to develop on there. So here they come back and they're like, oh, we already have the solution or we've integrated with another company. We know what happens when you only have one company, right? There's no room for innovation off of that one company. So you need competition. You need to give yourself that chance. And what's happened here is really they're the ones inhibiting innovation. So if we think it's companies not innovating, it's really, really important and critical that we bring these discussions to our EMR companies. Hey, have you heard, heard they're doing great things? When is that integration coming? Because really, we're having these conversations on the back end, but we may be talking to Joe that's like, oh, no, it's fine. We don't want to integrate with you. And they just made a business decision for you know 10,000 users that was probably the wrong one. So it's really important that we advocate for ourselves and really tell them what we need as practitioners. And then if they have the capacity to go build it, go build it, right? It's really got to be that Salesforce model. Salesforce was super, super successful because they opened up their backend. They actually were, there were companies that were more successful than Salesforce that Salesforce let in. That's actually a good thing. So it really inhibits, or we have to really, really push forward innovation if we don't want to get left behind. And that's really where it starts because let's face it, your EMR company is where everything sits. And so, and it's almost impossible to change, right? Once you go in. So as you're evaluating EMRs, make sure that you're evaluating backend integrations. Um, Scott and I were talking where, you know, before I even see the patient, I've entered the patient data in six of my machines, right? Patient first name, last name, um, date of birth, patient identifier. So literally I'm spending five minutes just adding duplicate data. So if all these companies, that's all that you need in all of these machines, they all talk to the internet. So guys, you're not giving proprietary information by opening anything up on your back end. And I'm not going to go build an EMR just like you're not going to go build Dr. Contact Lens. So it's really important that we work together as an industry. And really, it comes back to the patient. So if we're not able to take care of the patient, we're not able to take care of the practice. And now the practice has no money to pay their EMR. So it comes back full circle on the importance of the EMRs. Yeah, you're compelling doctors in that narrative to help you and other technology companies that are, if I could call them politely, I hope, add-on technologies to allow those integrations to happen. And you're saying, doctor, if you're using this software, go talk to your software company about whatever products, including Dr. Contact Lens, in, in your view, um, that you want to use in business and, and sort of use, if we call it crowdsourcing, to bring the mentality of the EMR companies to a point, maybe back to a point of being all about helping the practice optimally. And you reference Salesforce. A lot of optometrists don't know about Salesforce. It's a, it's a CRM. It's a customer and relationship management software where you have all of your accounts in it. And there are a lot of things you can do once you have all of your customer names in a system. Your EMR is a CM, CRM. It's your nervous center, your brain. It's all of the data that you have about patients that you see. And I think what a lot of us have thought, particularly with paper records, is that our records are ours. Even in practice transactions, we sell the records. In the next five or 10 years, it's my opinion, I'd like to see where you think on this, that patients are going to certainly feel affiliated to a practice and they're going to use their insurance and typically, you know, their coverage to decide where they go. But they're going to be a lot more free to do what they want with practices of all types of healthcare that match the way they want to do business. And I'm afraid that this narrow view of these companies who are the ones that wrote the software to retain your information about your patients, your customers, are, are starting to cut us off from the actual um, important nature of letting customers, patients, decide what they want to do in the future. I, I think, Doc, 
you know, not you, but Doc listening or watching, you're not going to be in control in five or 10 years. That's just my gut. And I think that there are a lot of technologies. I'm not here to promote Dr. Contact Lens, but I think it is a great concept technology that you have to think about how your patient is going to choose to do business in the future with healthcare providers. And I'll get into the EMRs a little bit more from another point of view, but I want to ask you about that. Is, is that part of your thinking and having built Dr. Contact Lens? <laughs> I finished my monologue that you really think patients will be in control, but you want to protect the doc? Because I think the leery people go, ah, she's still going to try to help the doc, you know, the patient get around the doc. And I don't see that from you at all. No, it really, again, comes full circle. If you're not taking care of the, the ever again, the patient at the end of the day is always going to lose if we don't take care of the doctor, because we're not going to have anybody to really take care of us. So if on Saturday you wake up with a red eye, who are you going to call? And who are you really going to go to if you've got a foreign body when you're doing lawn work, right? The doctors are there to really, really help you. So a robot can't take that out. Um, and you hit it with the nail on the head there with um, healthcare. So patients, they're now calling them. And this is from Apple and from Amazon and from Berkshire and these big companies that own a lot of patient lives. They're calling them healthcare consumers. We are becoming a healthcare consumer. So it's going to be really, really important. And, you know, we all walk around with our phone. Why is there not something, and they're building this, right? So it holds all of your data. You know what medications you're taking, how many times you ask a patient what medications they're taking, and they can't name all of them, right? And they're taking like 14 medications. So there's no reason that this healthcare record shouldn't be living. And it's a living document, just like we're living people. And this should all be populating into, a, a, that's really why the government wanted to get into EMRs, right, is for everybody to talk. You go to your diabetic doctor, now you need to go get an eye exam, you need to get your feet checked, you need to make, make sure your blood pressure is normal and a couple of other things. But we all are together in this fight to take care of you as a patient. And so if you have this discombobulated care where nobody's talking, that's really what we have the capacity to do. So if we don't have access to those records, you're really only hurting the patient. And that's where Dr. Contact Lens wanted to come in. Yes, us as doctors, we want to control the patient and we want to really hold on to that because that really is our lifeblood, right? But at the end of the day, if we give the patient that little bit of control that they're asking for, everybody at the end of the day, including the patient and the doctor and the staff. And so I think it's really important that we uncover this and that we do move the, the profession forward so we can really, at the end of the day, take care of our patients. You know, an ideal patient portal would have taken care of everything that the patient needs from the healthcare practice or hospital system. Um, it's, we're what, 15, 20 years into electronic health records now. Um, and the patient portals have gotten better. You now can get your records. Um, you can see clinical summaries at the end of a visit. Some of the optometry EHRs make it easier than others to look into various sort of points of contact that you've had with the practice. But patients generally go to an eye exam once a year, and they aren't entirely dependent on a patient portal with the eye doctor. It's not that important. So these add-on technologies to eye care EHRs take on a new type of importance. And what, what I saw early in my time in EHR software was the tech me text messaging communication systems were the logical ones. Nobody in EHR was doing it well. There were third parties that did it really well. And all the EHR companies rushed to integrate on the back end, as you call it, to the technology. So the practice could use the EHR, but that a copy of that data could be sucked through the system so patients could be messaged for things like reminders and recall. And every optometrist said, makes sense, why wouldn't we do that? And so did the EHR companies. Then there became sort of this conversation around, well, how about passing data to examining systems or to, as your point, equipment systems? Some do it well, <laughs> some don't do it so well. So the practice is left with these things that they don't even think about. I enter the patient's name five times. 
And as the EHR companies have gotten their customer base, um, they have kind of decided that integrating to additional systems, while it might be a value to the practice, doesn't bring them a lot more value. So we've got our customers. I mean, if they can't use doctor contact lens or something else in an integrated fashion, just let them do it the old fashioned way. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to call on all EHR companies, actually call out all you EHR companies. That's a bunch of crap. You are the controller of the practice efficiency of the future. You have got to make a better attempt to take care of the practices that have chosen you. Because if you don't, there's going to be somebody that's going to figure it out. And mm -hmm. as hard as it is to change, practices will change one more time if they can find somebody who helps them deal with the healthcare consumer in a better way than you're enabling. And it's not just doctor contact lens. It's a wide variety of third-party systems that are enabling the practice to take bits of patient information and make their business better. And I know you've, you know, you and I have talked about this. That's, that's my, my last volley. I'm going to let you have the last word on this topic. I, I know you, you want to sort of take a next step and say that to the nth, but what is your call to the EHR companies in addition to what I've said here? I really want the EHR companies, like you said, it's more than money at the end of the day. And there's a, there's a benefit for all of this between whatever it is, a rev share or whatever. Um, again, we've got to take care of the patient in the chair. If I'm so busy entering all of this data six or seven times that my back is to the patient 10 times, well, where's that patient going to go next year? Because they just literally talked to a robot, which was me, and I'm a human being. So if it's not enabling me to really, really talk to everything from online appointment schedulers to online reminders to an online form that the patient fills out before they get to me, to reviews, to a contact lens ordering site, to a glasses ordering platform, to giving them when they check out a way to pay their bill online. Like there's so many points of touch in the life cycle of the patient. So, um, you know, talking to, you know, I've had a live scheduler forever. Like it was the best thing that I ever did. Pick up the phone, listen how long it takes for your staff to make an appointment, even off of an appointment request. It's time for an appointment request. I give you three or four appointments that maybe I could do. Now your staff is like, oh, that one doesn't work. That one doesn't work. That one doesn't work. So now that you're getting all these negatives, right? And we have to make this a positive experience. And so, and then look at far as your online forms, right? Online forms have absolutely changed our practice. And we really bumped it up with COVID because we didn't want people sitting in our waiting room filling out a form that's literally one page front and back, right? There's my friends little thing. Um, it's not a lot to fill out, but some people, it takes them 20 minutes to fill out their name. And now I'm 20 minutes behind. And now that next patient's upset. So we really have to get really efficient in taking care of patients. None of us have time anymore, right? Now it goes to the back data entry. So now your technician, hopefully they've entered it previously to when that patient sits down, but most people don't have time to do that. So now you've entered them in five different machines. This equipment company has might, might have the best thing since sliced bread, but it's another touch point. It's another two-minute test to run, right? But And it's another data point to enter. So now your technician has spent five minutes entering stuff, 10 minutes doing all the pretests. Now they come in. Now you got to enter more data that didn't talk from the form, and you ask them 30 more times what their medications are. Right. So even the online form integrating directly into the record seems novel, but it doesn't work the way that we want it to work. Right. Everything now has to be phone friendly. So that's one touch point. Then you get into the exam and upon checkout, how easy is it for the patient to order or to get the copy of their prescription or to get their record? Right. It's another platform. It's another ordering portal or whatever it may be. Take that a step further. Okay, patient, I'm gonna, your contacts can be here tomorrow at my office. Patient may come back tomorrow to get them. Highly doubt it. Um, and so now all the offices are like, oh, I want to see the patient again. No, you don't. You, that patient's walking in at 5 o'clock. They've got to get to their kids at daycare before they start getting char charged $10 a minute. 
And now you throw the contacts at them because your staff wants to get out because now you're paying overtime. So everything has to be this direct ship to patient model. And I see even glasses going that way where you take all the measurements, you can adjust the frame then and there. Why are we not shipping things home, right? Progressive's a little bit different. Um, you want to teach that patient how to use it and make sure that they're, they have functional and clear vision. So there's still touch points where we can really, really take care of the patient. Now go to dry eye drops and like macular vitamins that we sell and things that we recommend. Why is this not all automated, right? So there's really a lot that we can do at the end of the day to take care of the patient. And if we start with the patient in mind and not with our pockets in mind, everybody will win at the end of the day. But really that's, that's the neural network, like you said. The EHR is the brain. Um, and so we really, really need your help as EHR companies to help us survive and innovate and innovate and move our practices forward. So, and us as ODs that are building these softwares, you know, most entrepreneurs are successful, not because they love what they're doing, but because they fixed a problem that they couldn't stand one more time. So hence why we came up with Dr. Contact Lens. One more patient asked me for a copy of their prescription. I might just quit. Like, this is not fun. Um, I've invested all, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to take care of you as a patient and then have all of my staff and great equipment and love what I do. And here you just go walk. Um, so it's defeating <laughs> as a doctor to always be on the defense. It's not a good place. So we want to innovate. We want to motivate. We want to take care of you. Um, so it's really important that that life cycle really comes back into it. So my bow on this is it used to be that, you know, product companies would solve a problem for a doctor and then it would take care of the patient. And I think where we're headed is if you take care of the patient, you'll take care of the doctor. And I'm glad that you're out there fighting that fight. The last question is what's a great bit of advice you've gotten from somebody that you want to share with us before we go? Great advice that I've gotten. I think my, I'll live by my favorite quote. Um, Change and comfort cannot coexist. And so it's really important that even though you may get comfortable with something, we've got to keep moving forward. Um, and we, and if you don't, you're going to be left behind. And really, it's find your niche. Um, I heard that in school so many times. And I was like, when am I going to find my niche? When am I going to find my niche? And it took me a while um, so students that are listening, or if you're sick of the burn and turn, you have the capability to change it. Um, so just at the end of the day, if you're happy, your patients are going to be happy and you're not going to get upset about that one-star review that you just got from a patient. So let things roll. Um, optometry is alive and well, and I know that it'll be here for a very long time. We just all have to work together and we're in this industry to take care of one another. So I think that's, you know, Scott, when I called you and I was like, there's got to be something that that we can do. Um, and really, our hearts are in the right place. And it comes back to taking care of that patient. Dr. Brianna Rue, thank you for sharing your incredible insights on Sandbox Stories. Thank you for having me. And to the audience, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And thanks for attending. And until my next Sandbox Story, be great at all you do.